the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are grateful for you joining us here on this Wednesday afternoon. Hump day. Okay. There it is. It had to get out once. Now it's it's been satisfied. (laughs) I'm done. It felt like a very intentional pause. I was looking down. I I was waiting for the He's he's looking at me. I can tell. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. (laughs) You can follow us at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter at Common Good Talk, online eleven sixty hope dot com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, you know, oftentimes we will do stories here uh, that are in the news. Sometimes um, more lighthearted, but this one out of Christianity Today, uh, I, I read it. Every now and then we read stories about uh, the church worldwide, things that are going on worldwide, and it always blows my mind. And I always thought to my think to myself, we have to let people know about these for the reasons of being encouraged, but also to pray and right. to understand that there's a bigger church, there's a bigger world out there than just what we have. And so with that in mind, uh, at Christianity Today, the title is this, Pastor Turns Terrorist Hostage Video into a testimony. Listen to this. A hostage video released last week by Boko Haram did far more than issue another plea for rescue from a Nigerian Christian. It revealed a modern-day Shadrach. By the grace of God, I will be together with my wife, my children, and my colleagues, said Lawan uh, Andimi, a church of the Brethren in Nigeria pastor uh, in the troubled northeastern state of Adamawa. But if the opportunity has not been granted, maybe it is the will of God. Be patient, don't cry, don't worry, but thank God for everything. It is testimony even to his Islamist captors. Uh, there is a quote that says uh, from Gideon Paramalam, uh, an African ambassador for the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, said this is completely different from most hostage videos. Uh, he appeared as one who has already conquered death, saying to his abductors and the rest of us that he is ready to die for his faith in Christ. So uh, before going into some more of it, uh, when you read stories like this or hear these types of things, that is it uh, is it an eye opener for you? Is it an encouragement? Is it is it sad? What 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 do you uh, kind of feel when you read these? It's kind of all of it. Like I, I uh, there's obviously sadness, you know, for the very fact that he's being held captive. Yep. There's obvious encouragement because he seems so assured both of his faith and ultimately where his circumstances are leading. It makes me think, did you ever read the book Tortured for Christ? I did not. There's a, It made its rounds again recently, like on a lot of Christian sites where you could, just, you could get a free copy. It's about um, a pastor named Richard Wombrand that I remember, I think he's been arrested. 
he'd been arrested something like 30 times. I might be getting that number way wow. off. But it's like his journal, though, simply recording what he saw. I believe it was Romania. I'm really fuzzy on the details. Sure. I could have prepared for this segment. But I, <laughs> um, but I remember even at like 13 or 14 reading these like first-person accounts of like what it was like to not only be imprisoned for your faith, yeah. but then like some of the atrocities that he saw while in prison. And if we have time, maybe I'll, I'll share a couple of them that stood out to me. But it, it was – even as a kid, I remember thinking, okay, number one, mm. uh, I'll probably never have to face anything like that. Correct. Not even close. Number two, what must happen in someone's heart and soul to give them such confidence and such perseverance in the face of, at least in my experience, was like unthinkable pain and tragedy. Right. Like it was – that like, and I've gone back and read it a couple of times since then, and it's still – Justice Power. If you're listening, you've never heard of it. I think you can find it for free. A lot of different sites. Tortured for Christ hmm. by Richard Wombrand. It is a beautiful, small little read. That uh, actually, this story has actually made me think of a lot. That's that's really fascinating. He says this pastor is well known in the area, so it wasn't a random abduction. Uh, he's a district leader and a regional representative of the Christian Association of Nigeria. Uh, and the quote goes, to annihilate the Christian faith, there's no better way to eliminate its prime movers. It's Boko Haram giving a signal that they are not degraded like the government says and can still strike. In fact, less than a week earlier, 11 Nigerian Christians were seized in the neighboring uh, Borno state, uh, and they were executed by a Boko Haram uh, splinter site. Uh, but it's interesting. They said in the hostage video, this pastor says, I believe that he who made them to act in such a way is still alive and will make all arrangements uh, I've never been discouraged because all conditions that one finds himself in is in the hands of God, God who made them to take care of me and to leave me with uh, my life. And so when I read these things, kind of like that book you're just talking about, yeah. and then I'd encourage you to read the articles, then it goes in kind of a grander scale of what's going on in Nigeria and other areas around there, right. uh, which is just always eye-opening. But kind of like that book you're talking about, like it, to me it's always just um, – it becomes an important thing for me to be to be reminded that this is going on worldwide, because uh, right, I'm assuming you've preached on uh, Paul's words to the Philippians: "For me to live is Christ, to die is gain." Yeah, and uh, I love that passage. Love to preach on that passage. Uh, it takes a different level of gravity in for these people for situations right. like this. Like we always have to contextualize it a little bit in America. Like what does that mean? Right, and it becomes a little more theoretical. Obviously, for this guy, he basically is saying. I want to go home. I want to go home to my wife and kids, right. but, but that's not ultimately in my hands, and I'm not going to be mad at God. I'm not going to blame God uh, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, what do you think we as the Western church, what's the takeaway for us uh, when we are reminded there's Christians in Nigeria being executed? There's groups trying to kill people. Uh, what do you do with that as a pastor and just as a Western believer? Well, uh, first thing you might consider doing, I didn't even realize this was a thing, so Tortured for Christ, the book I was just talking about. Uh-huh. Not only is there a book, there's a movie that was made last year. Oh, for real? If you go to torturedforchrist.com, you can get the uh, the book, the movie, but there's also like a whole group study kit. And it looks like it wow. kind of answers your question. Like, how, how can we be more mindful of Christians who are, you know, on a global scale in circumstances that are very foreign yeah. to a lot of us? I think that's part of it. We talk a lot about um, the need to fight the urge to be totally internally focused or or even just familiar focused. I think the church sometimes um, can certainly struggle to, to yeah. think at a global level. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is we have a lot going on here. So yep. that's understandable. 
But I also think that stories like this should serve not as a, a guilting, like, man, I, I should be ready to be in prison too. But also I think it should challenge us though. It should hopefully bring to the surface some of what, okay. So why does that seem so odd to me? Or why yeah. am I so unsure of that? Like lead, like that, those questions lead you somewhere because I think it's easy to go on a mission trip and be like, man, they have nothing, but they had so yeah. much joy. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. back to my suburban life. You're I've like, done that. Don't, yes. <laughs> don't, right, we all have. Don't yeah. don't leave that there. It's worth actually really sitting in like, all right, what are, what are some of the changes? Maybe I'm not going to move my family to Nigeria, but maybe there are some things that I can really pray to God for some courage or strength or boldness in the areas where maybe I've been yeah. a little more shy, a little more timid into, I don't know, like this feels a little simplistic, but... Pray the Holy Spirit convicts what parts of your heart, like mm-hmm. maybe, aren't aligned. That aren't that you're watching this video, or you're listening to this story, and you're thinking, "Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm there yet." Like God wants to grow that in you, and uh, I don't know things like. And again, I can only speak for myself. That that book, uh, "Tortured for Christ," was really formational for me, and and it looks like there's a lot of other types of resources it's like that if you're, if you're interested in uh, taking a deeper dive. Interesting. The article ends this way: uh, There is hope for the pastor and Demi. Because Boko Haram has released Christians in the past. However, uh, they've generally shown mercy only to Muslim captives. But until then, the pastor continues his witness. Andimi lives in the light of eternity, which is a sign of his courage, said Paramalam, who was speaking earlier. From the lion's den, he said to death, to hell with you, I'm not afraid. That's like out out of a movie, man. We will just... Leave it at we're, that. We're, we're praying for him and his family. Absolutely. And everybody else. And, and allow it, as Ian did a good job uh, pointing out, allow it to challenge our faith even here where we live in relative uh, security and ease. So uh, coming up next, uh, Mark Hamill of Luke Skywalker fame has done something very interesting that I want to wrestle with. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Oh, wow. Thank you for joining us. I was like, and here we go. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, that, uh, wasn't that that famous scene from Gone in 60 Seconds? Never seen Gone in 60 Seconds. No. no. It was like a- Add it to the list. It's like a, no, don't add it to the list. No. It's a long, tight zoom in Nicolas Cage's face, though, before they begin their car heist. And it's like this long, awkward pause, and he goes- Let's go. <laughs> I can picture it. It was like that's on the trailer. Should, that's how we should start every segment. Here we go. So Come Nicholas Cagey. And so uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show and Twitter. Uh, you can find us online, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, said that I want to talk about a little bit about something Mark Hamill did, but I saw in this article, Stream of Consciousness, there's a picture of Will Smith off to the side. So an interview with Will Smith the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know what he said is the one he there's only one uh acting role he regrets turning down? Matrix. You heard this. I did not hear this. It is the Matrix. He was supposed to, he was first offered the role that Keanu Reeves played. Yeah, and did Wild Wild West instead. Isn't that amazing? Could you picture the I think he'd be good in the Matrix, actually. Uh but it's I, so I, Keanu Reeves, right? Like, yeah, so... I think Keanu is I think that was the right call. And Will Smith did okay for himself. He this did. I've thought about this a weird amount, actually, <laughs> because uh, yes, that makes total sense. That'd be like the greatest regret of his life. But he also ended up doing just fine. Yes. And Keanu at the time, I don't think was doing very well. And that kind of like jumpstarted his oh, career. So interesting. They, they both got to win. I think, all right, that's. And not to mention who's the, uh, I'm going to forget the names in uh, The Matrix, but Lawrence Fishburne, right? Uh-huh, right. They said if Will Smith had taken that role, 
they probably would not have had an African American guy like Lawrence Fishburne do that role because they oh. wanted a they wanted a one uh, one white and one African American. No so kidding. It would have changed almost the whole cast. Wow. Yeah, and I think Will Smith certainly could have done it, but the role yeah. is so embedded in my Isn't brain it? as fully Keanu because he needed to play that sort of like a little bit off. IT programmer, whatever his particular job was in the movie, and I, I don't know. I thought he was pretty It cool. is an interesting Google search if you ever have just time to kill uh, <laughs> or time not to kill but want to waste some time. Ooh, that should be a segment. About uh, about roles that are like iconic that were offered to other people first. Yeah, right. And you'll be blown away by someone. Because someone, like, I remember, I forget who it was offered to, but like Forrest Gump, which is like, that is Tom Hanks. Nobody else could play it. Right. He wasn't the first. I think it was like Travolta or somebody like that. Oh, and you're like, goodness what? gracious. <laughs> yeah, Back to the Future. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. There's a whole lot yeah. of roles like that. Anyway, not what we were going to talk about, <laughs> but I saw the picture of Will Smith. And when I saw that interview, it was you could tell he had some legitimate regret, like you said. Yeah. Made Wild Wild West, made lots of money, did okay for himself. Uh, oh, but, I don't think Wild Wild West made lots of money. You don't think he still made lots of money through that? Uh, I think it was a pretty big flop. I'm sure he still made money, oh, but okay. I think that was actually a pretty colossal flop matrix did okay for itself <laughs> it sure did uh interestingly when we were dating the only mo- no no me and we you would've, we would have been married my wife and i oh, your wife and you okay uh, yes my wife and i not me and will smith uh we uh <laughs> that was the first and only movie i believe where my wife uh no we were in college we were okay. dating okay and uh we left that movie halfway through what movie the matrix no yeah where I learned my wife doesn't do violence well. And like oh, kind of okay. Stuff. I didn't know that when we were dating. <laughs> where I learned it. A total aside, also, one of our first dates where she met my brother for the first time. We went yeah. out to dinner and we, the three of us went to a movie. And I didn't know this whole thing about her that she doesn't do violence at all well. Oh, boy. Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, there's a good deal of violence in that, Brian. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> also, let's not, let's not glaze over the fact that you went on a date with your with your girlfriend and your brother. It seemed a little weird looking back. <laughs> the whole point was for her to meet my brother, and it was like we went out to dinner. And then uh, I just remember everyone being like, hey, let's go see a movie. Let's, okay, yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, you know, I would love to ask like, her how she felt when you're like, yeah, come along with us. That'd think, be fun. I think she was in the fetal position for watching Saving Private Ryan. Oh, my goodness. I remember like in youth group when I guess Armageddon came out. We were like talking to youth group, and my brother and I saw it. We like loved it, and we were going on and on, and there was – Two other girls in our youth group were like, we stormed out for moral reasons. <laughs> for moral reasons. We were like, uh, well, we still liked it. Sorry. <laughs> Thankfully, we did not have those same yeah, moral reasons. Right. Yeah, it was pretty well known that the, the Simpkins brothers <laughs> oh, that's weren't uh, dictated by that. Well, getting back to the story. Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. The headline says he quits Facebook. Also the Joker. Is he? Well, the animated. He's the voice of the animated Joker. I didn't know that. In the greatest Batman series of all time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, he quit Facebook, which doesn't seem like a huge deal. Okay, big deal. But he cited patriotism as his reason. He said, I'm so disappointed that Mark Zuckerberg values profit more than truthfulness that I've decided to delete my Facebook account, he tweeted. I love that he tweeted it about his Facebook. Right. He said, I know this is a big who cares for the world at large, but I'll sleep better at night. He punctuated the statement with an emoticon of what was supposed to be the American flag. He accidentally put the Malaysian flag in a bag of money separated by a greater than sign. So, but it does get to an interesting point. Hamill's frustration and a lot of people's frustration stems from Facebook's ongoing reluctance, and I think reluctance is putting it nicely. Yes, right. <laughs> to police political ads for misinformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Facebook announced last week that it would work to eliminate quote deep fake videos. However, Facebook has taken a, laz- a laissez-faire approach 
to written content stating mm-hmm. that postings should be scrutinized and debated in public. Uh, so basically, we had 2016, depending on who do you believe, but it's it's pretty well substantiated that, uh, that the Russians and others uh, were using Facebook to put out a lot of misinformation about politicians and things in our culture, things in our society. And uh, and Facebook has kind of said, yeah, we're not really going to do much about that. Right. Again. And now we have another election coming up. So what do you think about Hamill saying, hey, for patriotism reasons, I'm off. And for those of us who don't want to get off of Facebook, what's the what do we do when realizing it's not this uh, neutral platform where people just share pictures of their of their cute pictures of their kids and their dog? But it, there's it's a lot more sinister in some ways than that. I don't I mean, sin- would you go as far as sinister? I see. It feels when you read it, they feel sinister. I don't tend to be the conspiracy theory guy who's right. like, oh, no, it's shaping our culture. But right. you do read some of the stuff, and it's kind of scary. So. Yeah, and we have talked before on the show about misinformation and what we post and repost and tweet yep. and retweet and, like, the importance, at least for Christ followers, to scrutinize, to give some level of rigor to the content we share. Uh, I, I do find it, uh, at the very least, frustrating Um that Facebook isn't willing to at least engage in this dialogue a little more intently. But part of me kind of gets what they're saying. And the rest of that sentence said, posting should be scrutinized and debated in public, not by Facebook. So they're saying, hey, that's not our job. You guys should be having conversations about these things. You should be, you know, figuring out what is true and what's not true. Um, Ultimately, though, that reeks of like, it still comes down to money. Yes. For them, I imagine like, hey, they're big, but it's not our job to figure out if it's actually factual or not. Um, the problem is it's sort of, it's sort of for me, like the first time someone told me that Taco Bell isn't good for me, they're like, do you know what's in that meat? And in my, in my head, I'm like, I kind of don't care. Yep, it's, it's still good. delicious. <laughs> that's my general guess that most people are going to feel that w- the way about Facebook. Like, okay, that's a little slimy. I don't totally agree with that conclusion, but I mean, I'm not going to delete Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's, I think for a lot of people, it feels like. Well, what other options do I have? Yep. And uh, you could go on TikTok. Maybe TikTok is the new venture. TikTok is where I feel old because I don't know it. Oh, I don't at okay, all either. Good. Join me in the age. I, yeah, I think it's the new Vine. Sure. But other than no, that, yeah. you know Vine. I do. Okay. I do. <laughs> but in, and in general, though, I think that's part of what Facebook knows is like, hey, we kind of have you anyway. So yes. whether we agree to this or not, it's not going to really hurt our bottom line a whole yep. lot. So I'd be curious. I think you did bring up a great point that as Christ followers, what we've talked about before is we should be more concerned about truth and truth telling. And as opposed to just being like, hey, I'm going to share this meme or this article or this whatever. So you might not need to take the the drastic approach that Luke Skywalker took here and uh, and get off of Facebook altogether. But although maybe you want to, maybe it's a good thing. And uh, but that's for all of us to wrestle with. But I think the takeaway is don't believe everything you read on the internet. Yeah, maybe that's do a, a little bit of work. Away. Maybe Good do reminder. a little bit of work. Except when we post it on Facebook. We, exactly, so. of course. <laughs> Unless there's the Momo challenge that we discovered in the middle of the segment was actually. <laughs> remember that? Uh, oh, I remember. I was like, just go with it. Just go. Just with go it. with it, Brian. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about leadership and managers, and uh, an article that says ten habits that make great managers unforgettable. Coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad that you are joining us on this Wednesday evening. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. 
you can find us online, 1160hope.com. Uh, you can find our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, we are grateful for those of you who do listen to the podcast. Um, we're always, uh, it's, it's always such an encouragement when people come up and say, hey, we listen to your podcast. Like, oh, that's awesome. Or we listen to your radio show. Or uh, That is, uh, sometimes it feels like we're just talking to each other. So <laughs> That's not a bad <laughs> Which thing. Which would be okay. Yes, yeah, thank yes. you. I don't know if I do it every day. Yeah, yeah not, <laughs> not as often as we do it, that's for sure. I don't talk to anyone as much as I talk to you. That is a good point. That is a good point. So uh, uh, at Inc.com, which we used Inc.com yesterday, I-N-C, not I-N-K. Mm-hmm. Not a pen. That's not like a pen company if, site. If you are a regular listener, yesterday we talked about 17 um, – what was it? 17 uh, habits that make you a better leader or something or other like that. Uh, I might have messed that one up, but you can go listen to the podcast. <laughs> Today, I, think I think it's 17 sacrifices. That's right. Second, right. Is that what it was? 17 things leaders, good leaders give up or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. This one today is 10 signs your boss is a great manager and parenthetically, you, and you shouldn't leave your job. Oh. So what are 10 things? Whether you're a boss, you can ask yourself whether you're a boss. Uh, whether you're a boss, you can ask yourself. <laughs> That's <if>, happening. <laughs> you can ask yourself if this uh, – Kind of fits your leadership style, but also if you're not a boss and you're you're a you're somebody who reports to somebody else and you are part of a team, right? Uh, you can ask yourself, hey, uh, is my boss a good manager? Is this type of uh, is this uh, my experience with my boss? So uh, let me read to you the beginning, and then we'll jump into the ten. This author says, years ago, I was a member of a politically charged executive team with each person pulling in different directions with opposing agendas. We were a mess. While that horrendous experience was short-lived, it gave me a front-row seat to witnessing firsthand the leadership style of each executive. One executive uh, was a prolific visionary with an impressive resume. His Achilles heel was his overconfidence. Wait, check that unfettered arrogance. (laughs) It came in the form of bravado, swagger, and positional authority that didn't sustain its influence. After a while, people began to catch on that the outward brash was only skin deep. It was really all about him. Uh, so he had few followers and little influence. That's interesting. They, she, the, the author is acknowledging this leader was a visionary, like yeah, really right. good at that. Prolific is the word that this author uses. Uh, but nobody followed because of, of of his arrogance. Right. And so that kicks off this question. What types of leaders and managers do employees enthusiastically follow? What type of leaders and managers do employees enthusiastically follow? It's a list of 10. Why don't you read the first one? Why don't I read the first why one? Number one. That's why I asked. Why yeah. don't you read oh, the first great. one? That's a great question. Oh, Brian, read we should, the we first one. do this on the radio. Even better. <laughs> uh, number one, they follow leaders who are not afraid to be wrong. Unforgettable leaders take a stand not because they think they're always right and use that to push their weight around, but because they aren't afraid to be wrong. Now, this takes a level of rarefied authenticity the cocky and conceited leader that proclaims his position, disregards differing opinions or points of view, is a leader that will have few followers, mostly out of intimidation. Typically, they know they're right, and they need to, they need you to know it, too. This type of behavior does not signify confidence. It is the sign of an intellectual bully. What, what has been your experience? Have you ever had a, a boss like that where it was like, man, every conversation, they just had to be right. They had to make sure you knew they were right. Has that ever been a part of your yeah, I haven't worked for that many bosses, but I can remember, especially when I was younger, working more like part-time jobs. Yeah, right. Having some, it was like, my way or the highway. Like, right. it was always right. Right. <laughs> Which there's probably some element sure. of that to being sure. a boss, I guess. But he goes on to say, unforgettable leaders with loyal followers are secure enough to back down graciously 
when being proven wrong. To them, it's more important to find out what is right than being right. Mm, that's good. Really good. That's good. Number two, they follow leaders. People enthusiastically follow leaders who listen way more than they speak. Want to hear an insecure leader at work? Easy. Just listen to their bragging, a mask for their insecurity. Huh. Confident leaders are unassuming and know what they think. They want to know what you think. Yep. Practically speaking, unforgettable leaders allow their followers the freedom to think and be part of the conversation. They ask curious questions, lots of questions, how something is done, what you, the employee, like about it, what you learn from it, and what you need in order to be better, more productive, more efficient. Unforgettable leaders with loyal followers realize they know a lot and seek to know even more. That's a good one. And number three, they follow leaders who avoid the spotlight and shine it on others. We talked about this yesterday, yeah, actually. We didn't. We didn't. Unforgettable leaders with loyal followers don't need the glory or seek validation. They understand what they've achieved. They shine the spotlight on others, and then they stand back and celebrate their accomplishments, which helps boost the confidence and the trust of others. Which, just to say, it's one of my favorite parts about getting the chance to do this show is to like shine a spotlight Absolutely. on other people in our city that are mm-hmm. doing great things. Like that brings me a lot of joy to be able to say, man, I mean, Brian and I, you know, we talk all the time. Yes. <laughs> Look at this person doing some great stuff. That's that's probably the most fun that of has the been show. a fun thing part of this. Yeah. Number four, uh, people follow leaders who are not afraid to ask for help. Unforgettable leaders are secure enough to admit weaknesses and when they need help. By asking for help that others may see as weakness, a truly confident leader knows uh, that when Uh, He or she gets help. It pays that other person a big compliment. That's a good one. Number five, they follow leaders who don't put down other people. This Mm -hmm. leader stays away from gossip where they need to speak badly of others in order to make themselves appear better by comparison. His only concern is to be a better person tomorrow than he was yesterday. I saw someone tweet a couple weeks ago, too. They said, beware of the friend that mistakes gossip for connection. Oh, wow. I thought that was a pretty good comparison, actually, because there are a lot of times where, like, you feel a closeness with someone – when they want to share with you something terrible That's about somebody else, it does create a sort of like false intimacy. But I started thinking like, oh, man, I know a couple of people like that where yep. it's like the only time they ever want to talk to me is to share dirt on someone else. That's interesting. Right? That's a that, – I, that was going to be you said that thought like, what are they sharing about me? Oh, of course. Else, right. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Number six, uh, they, follow, uh, they follow leaders who own their mistakes. This leader breeds honesty and authenticity, will always admit their mistakes, and won't won't mind occasionally, quote, looking bad. In fact, their confidence may even allow themselves to be the source of other people's jokes at their expense Hmm. because they know that when you're authentic and unpretentious, others don't laugh at you, they laugh with you. That's good. Number seven in the 10, what is is the title of the article? 10 signs. Your boss is a great great manager manager and you shouldn't leave. We're on number seven. They follow leaders who seek wisdom from others. There's an old proverb that goes like this. Where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. That sounds familiar. Unforgettable leaders with a loyal following seek advice or input from their trusted inner circle that will teach them, keep them on track, and move them in the right direction. This is the kind of thing that you would hope and assume yeah. every leader is doing, but yeah. that's actually pretty rare. Absolutely. Uh, number eight uh, of the ten, uh, they follow leaders who intentionally seek to build trust with others. Any true leader will first build trust with those who they work closely with. In fact, it has been found that in healthy organizations – Leaders with a servant mindset are willing to give trust to their followers first, and they give it as a gift even before it's earned. That's that's an interesting way to put it. Like you give trust right. even when it's risky and hasn't necessarily been earned yet. It reminds me of the Patrick Lencioni talk I heard him give at 
uh, the summit a couple of years ago. He says, I'm tired of the phrase servant leadership because there's no other kind. That's good. That's good. Number nine, they follow leaders who make their employees feel like business partners. Once you've invested in close relationships and built trust over time, these leaders will let their team members feel like they're invested in the business. They give them ownership and engage their workforce in an entrepreneurial way. When people take ownership of their work, like their business partners, employee satisfaction soars. They become loyal followers. And number 10, they follow leaders who reward and recognize those who fight alongside them. An unforgettable leader never flies solo or plays for the name on the back of his jersey. He will always acknowledge success as a team effort. This leader understands human nature and will make it a priority to recognize people for their hard work, both in public and in private. An employee that sees his leader in action, not seeking self-glory, will typically be more willing to follow that leader. So that's a good list of 10. Yeah, it's a great list. 10 list, uh, ten signs your boss is a great manager. Again, if you're a leader of an organization, I think you should look at these and ask questions about your own leadership. Uh, if, or the leadership that you're under. Exactly. If you're if you're just in an organization, part of a team, uh, these are great questions, a lens to look at those leading you. So we'd love your, uh, your feedback. Well, this will be on the Facebook page. Well, coming up next, we're going to dive into a little bit of politics and uh, kind of the, the church's role in it. That is next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. Uh, we are going to discuss an article out of Patheos uh, that says, why this evangelical is staying out of the Trump wars uh, but before we do that, let me tell you about something from our friends at In Touch Ministry. The new year is underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. An inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. And everybody who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That's 1160hope.com slash contest. I know we mentioned this yesterday, but Charles Stanley done enough in his life that he can also be a photographer. Man, I mean, radio, preaching, more writing power books. to him. Shoot, didn't uh, George W. start painting after yeah. his presidency? I think oh, that's it's good. super impressive. Good for him. Every now and then I'll be like, hey, leave something for the rest of us here. Come on now. You can also take photographs, bro. Yeah. I don't think he's corner of the market. I'm impressed. I remember because he's he's pretty up there in age now, right? Charles Stanley. He's that's... not. He's not going in reverse. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think he's Benjamin Buttoning. I don't... <laughs> Valid point. <laughs> I'm always impressed when, especially when, when doing look it up when men or women are, are are especially in their in their older years and they're they're doing photography and writing books and right. doing radio and preaching. Like, okay, he's 87. Gosh, yeah, you keep going. That's, That's awesome. Him. That's awesome. So you could do that. His middle yeah. name is Fraser. Really, mm -hmm. Charles Fraser Stanley. Yep. Okay, all right. So at uh, patheos.com and patheos. Uh, functions as a blog site for pretty diverse um, views. Like that's kind of the point of Patheos, right? And so a guy there by the name of David Rupert wrote uh, under the heading of evangelicals. They, they categorize them in different ways. Uh, Rupert wrote this, why this evangelical is staying out of the Trump wars. Uh, and let me read some of this for you, just the beginning. He said, as a kid, I watched with wide-eyed fascination Lost in Space television series. The recent reboot on Netflix keeps the Robinson family structure 
as they battle various challenges using the skills of their super smart kids and savvy first mate only to be thwarted by the scheming Dr. Smith. I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to watch that. <laughs> and there's Robot. Being, despite being a high tech machine that can fix anything, fight anyone, and even display human emotion, his ver- verbal programmers designed his language to be at toddler level, uttering just a few simple words. His most famous expression carries a warning danger, Will Robinson. As the battle with the president is only amplified, evangelicals are increasingly getting pulled into the debate by all sides. And those forces who are seeking to draw us in want uh, want to use us. Frankly, it's a trap. Like the robot at Will's side, I too am saying danger. The United States is a strong influence to the peoples of this planet, bringing progress and justice to the world. But divided, we fall. And that's what's happening now. Vultures are seeking to divide Christians the same way they have divided America. And I say danger. Yes, danger. So before we get into his specifics, what do you think of his premise that there is this danger right now? Uh, with the cultural, especially evangelical landscape of where he's going to focus. I mean, I think we've talked about the danger a lot, even on this show, to be honest. I think uh, I don't tend to jump right to, like, yelling danger necessarily. I I think our show tends to usually take more of the approach like, hey, we should pay attention to this, or hey, let's be mindful of this, or hey, we might be slipping into this and not aware of it. Um, But, you know, I think he he makes a good point. He goes on. I'm going to read a little bit more because I think – what he says was, uh, and we talked about this before, and we've had him on the show, the rhetoric was amplified this last week when Christianity Today editor Mark Galley wrote an editorial that called for President Trump's impeachment. In response, the Christian Post published a pro-Trump piece signed by 200 leaders. Editor Knapp Nasworth quit the publication saying it's bad for the gospel. Everyone is taking sides, and now we're battling each other, uh, much to the glee of secularists. Does anyone think this is good for the church? Mm. He goes on to talk about, you know, I've subscribed to Christianity Today for 30 years, but uh, this editorial was a was a pretty stark departure from their kind of normal nonpartisan stance. He talks. He says, two years later, I was briefly, um, or two years ago, I was briefly considered by a search firm to search as uh, president of Christianity Today, but was rightly upended by more qualified individuals. However, if in charge, I wouldn't have allowed the editorial. Why? Not because it was anti-President Trump, but because it detracts from the Christian message in today's mm. hyperdrive world. The church should be a safe space, a place where never-Trumpers and all-in-Trumpers and just-don't-care can all be at the divine table. It's a place that puts us all on the same level, broken humans who need God. So this idea of safe space yep. uh, is, again, a phrase that you and I, I'm assuming, have used a lot in the last year, uh, knowingly and unknowingly. Yep. I'm I'm curious if you think... Uh, there's validity to that. If there's validity with a caveat, if there is yes, safe place, but we still need to we need to speak against this or against that. How do you yep. defi- how do you decide those things? When That's you know, where how do you, hard. how do you know what hills to die on and which ones to let go? Yep, yep. Uh, I am a I am somebody who longs for it to be a safe space. I want to be a church where uh, people who uh, to take this example of politics in our in our country. I want to be a church where people who are passionate about Donald Trump and passionate against Donald Trump, say, uh, can worship alongside each other in unity. Hmm. Uh, I've had other people tell me that that's uh, that's kind of a pie in the sky hope. Hmm. Um, But I think that's what he's getting at here. That's what David Rupert's getting at, that 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 we should be united by much uh, something much bigger than that, which divides us. Uh, But that I will acknowledge that seems to be getting harder and harder. Uh, even within church settings, it seems to be uh, a little more difficult right now 
Um, but but yeah, to answer your question more succinctly, I do long for it to be a safe space uh, where there could be a diversity of ideas. Obviously, there are hills to die on, and that's where it becomes difficult. Right. But I guess I would want those hills to be uh, more theological than political. But I get where that's a gray area. Like well, I'm, I'm owning that that's a gray area. And even that juxtaposition, though, man, to say more theological than political is to me at least a little problematic is yeah. to imply that theology can exist outside of politics. And I don't I think understand. it can. So I think it sometimes sets up a false dichotomy to say, hey, just just stay in theology. Just stay in church world. It's like, you know, if you ever teach on generosity and mm-hmm. someone's like, shouldn't we be talking about spiritual things? You're like, no, no, what, what you do with your money is actually deeply Very spiritual. True. How we deal with politics and politicians and leadership and justice, those are theological issues. So I sometimes feel like that doesn't, I don't know that's necessarily – How would you put it? What would you say? I'm sure you want the same for your church. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that you want the people on both sides there. So, right. so how do you speak of it? Well, he says it a couple of times in, in the article. He says, I think it's just wisest to stand down and stay out of the argument. To me, that's not the definition of a safe space. The definition mm-hmm. of a safe space is where we can argue but know that there is a greater love that binds all of us, that the blood of Jesus is what unifies us. That's part of my problem. I think the even this the general sentiment, you know, before Thanksgiving and Christmas, like, hey, when you go home, be sure not to talk politics or religion. And I'm like, man, if we can't talk about those things with our family, now I totally get that plenty of people can't because something yeah. horrific happened in your family history and something was you know, is really triggering or unsafe. I totally understand that, but it does it does sometimes bum me out that we say. Hey, the best way to be unified is to just not talk about any of Correct. this. Yep. Um, that to me is uh, a little heartbreaking because I feel like that's the place where I think we grow, where we're actually able to have dialogue, knowing that there's love, knowing that there's relational equity, knowing that the thing that unifies us is way greater than who we voted for, how we feel about this certain yeah. issue. But I like what he says. He goes on. He says, um, I'm old enough to remember the moral majority, the Jerry Falwell-led movement to restore faith elements to our society using political means. It moved people who had stayed true to the faith through the cultural upheavals of the 60s and were left behind by the sexual liberation and the loss of an ordered society. The threats of communism and secularism coalesced a broad coalition of people. In many cases, it led to a deeper faith, a defined church that actually stood for something. But the alignment with politics left a bad taste in our mouths. Too many candidates seeking our vote pandered Mm. to us. We gave our loyalty and then found their character to be lacking. We hitched our wagon to horses that were sick. That's good. I thought that was pretty convicting. That's really good. So, uh, you know, this is not going to go quietly between now and November and beyond. And so I think we as a church, and we've talked about this often, and we will talk about it more often. Take a read of this article. You may disagree with a lot of what he says because, like you said, there is a little bit of a feel of, like, I'm just going to sit this one out. Right. That probably isn't an option for the church or at least a lot of us. Uh, So how are we going to do that? We want you to keep uh, wrestling with that. And that's what we're one of the things we want to do here on the show is to help one another wrestle and not even have all the answers, but to bring up uh, some of this stuff. Well, coming up next, there was a cheating scandal in the sports world. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, 
Uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're happy to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. It's where there that we put a lot of the articles we've read, uh, even put up some stuff that we've not even ever talked about on the show. Um, <laughs> Call Cogans, to- 23 and Me. Yeah. <laughs> Explain that one to people because that was really funny. It'd be fun just not to, wouldn't it? I'll send people there. Hulk Hogan and 23 and Me. We'll leave it there. Nah, it's okay. So it's Hulk Hogan. He's devastated to find out that he actually wasn't everyone's brother. <laughs> I love that. And a little tease. We're going to do a story later that I was like, that had to be a, like a joke, right? A Babylon beat. Nope. Nope. So we're It's not. It that's true. That's a good tease. So that's uh, at our Facebook page. A lot of good conversation goes on there and funny pictures and all sorts of other things. Also, we're trying to do the same thing at Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Uh, we seem to have more of a Facebook audience than a Twitter audience, mm-hmm. uh, but you could go ahead there at Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, online, find old shows at 1160hope.com. Uh, see our smiling, uh, falsely white teeth. <laughs> <laughs> they are not false. They've just been airbrushed. I was going to say, yeah, the phrasing of that makes it feel like we both. Were dentures. How was that confusing at all? <laughs> uh, and lastly, go find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. We've done lots of. Uh, uh, we we like to think that we have things to say, but then we bring on guests who just have lots of things to say. So if I could encourage you, if you have not been around the show for a while, go back through the podcast and just look for interviews and just listen to those. Because yeah. we've had. It's what I'm most proud of of the show, but also like if I were listening, I'd be most excited when I heard, oh, they're about to have a guest on. Good. Right. <laughs> right. And I don't mean that in a self-deprecating way. <laughs> just there's so many fascinating people we've gotten to talk to. It's true. If you have suggestions for people you think we could talk Absolutely. to or should talk to, send it on over to the Facebook page. Absolutely. So we're, we're thankful for all of you out there and uh, looking forward to this next year. Uh, well, a huge punishment came down uh, on Tuesday uh, out of uh, – no, on Monday – uh, out of Major League Baseball. And so let me give you some background because I've been following the story. I love Major League Baseball, so I've been following the story. The Houston Astros, who have been one of the best teams in baseball for the last couple of years, they won the World Series in 2017. They lost the World Series this past year in seven games. Uh, they're right at the top. Uh, also, if you listen to guys who are kind of insiders of baseball, it is well known that there is kind of an organizational arrogance to the Astros. 
which is going to play into the story. Mm. So it came out just after the season ended. And there's always been whispers of this, but it came out that there was some evidence that the uh, Houston Astros were stealing signs. Okay, so explain that for people. What that means is that they were literally using video equipment, uh, kind of centering on the other team's catcher. And it's fascinating what they were doing. So if you kind of break the code of the other team's signs, which isn't that hard, you'll know whether it's going to be a fastball, a curveball, whatever. And that's a big deal in baseball, right? Yeah. And so one of the ways the Astros were doing it was there was somebody sitting back at a TV monitor watching, and then he'd bang a drum if it was going to be a curveball. So no drum meant fastball. A drum meant a curveball. Well, if you know a curveball coming, that's a big deal. Uh-huh. This one hasn't been uh, substantiated, but there was a rumor that that they had made this system with band aids that were had electric uh, wires in them. No kidding. That they were basically doing buzzer system. Like one buzz is a fastball, two buzz, and so just crazy stuff. Yeah. So cheating, just blatant, incredibly cheating. dishonest. Yes. Uh, and so uh, what they were focusing on, what makes this important, they were focusing on the 2017 year, the year they won the World uh-huh, Series. Right, right. Uh, and so uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, came out with his to report, his findings, and he lit them up. Yep. He basically gave them the max punishment that is allowed. Uh, and that was a $5 million fine, a... Uh, they lost their first and second round draft picks in the 2020 and 2021 drafts. And the big deal is that he took the general manager and the manager and suspended them for the next season. So uh, they could have no contact with the team, which was a huge deal. Right. Well, the owner then held a pre- held a press conference. Owner's name is Jim Crane. He got up and he dropped a bombshell in the baseball world because within the first two minutes of his press conference, he said, uh, we are we are accepting their punishment, but I'm going to take it even further. And he, on the spot, fired the general manager and the manager, yeah. two of the most successful executives right. and managers in all of baseball. Right. And he fired them and talked about there needing to be integrity and character within their organization. They needed people to be able to know that what they were watching was legitimate. All the sponsors, all of this stuff. Yep. And it was like this – the the commissioners what the commissioner did was a big deal what the owner did was a huge deal mm-hmm. and so it's kind of unleashed this whole debate about like did he go too far wow this is crazy a lot of people like this is great other people going man he just kind of cut the legs out from his organization right and uh and so it brings up a lot of leadership uh questions about character uh, how many times have we talked this year about the ways in, in churches that will go, well, the ends justify the means, right? right if right. that guy's character or that girl's character is not that high, at least the church is big or at least the gospel is being preached or at least whatever. Uh, that was kind of what you could have taken with the Astros. At least they're winning. Uh, and it's expanding. The Boston Red Sox are under investigation for sign stealing in 2018, also the year they won the World Series. Right. Hate to be a Dodger fan. The Dodgers lost the 2017 and 2018 World Series. Yeah, gosh. Uh, so it looks like there's going to be more punishment coming down. So uh, there are so many tentacles to this story, from baseball to Ooh, punishment. Yeah, to leadership, to organizational yeah. character, to... Uh, to what matters. I'm wondering uh, as you whether you read this story or just hearing it now, what stands out to you? The quote that stands out to me is from Martin Luther King Jr. who says, the means we use must be as pure as the ends we seek. Mm. And I always thought that was so convicting and so succinct, right? Because like you said, in the church world, it it does seem like, unfortunately, it's become easier and easier for spiritual leaders to yep. justify Maybe not outright immoral or illegal, but shady practices. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. 
But ultimately, it's moving the mission forward or it's it's reaching the souls or whatever language you use. I, I think what is interesting here, so the commissioner talks about, uh, he says, the conduct described here caused fans and players and executives and other MLB clubs and members of the media to raise questions about the integrity of the game. He goes on to say, there's no way to really know if this affected or not. Yep. Um, but he said, uh, but the the impact... Uh, but he said the perception of, it did impact the perception of some, and it caused significant harm to the game. Yes, like this loyalty to this thing called the game. Like, yes. hey, whether or not they still would have won, that's actually kind of inconsequential mm. because there is a certain thing that we uphold because we love the game, mm. and when that's compromised, for us to not send a strong message, they're both kind of asserting is not is not good. Uh, stewardship of the roles of leadership we've been given. So I've I've seen now a number of people have said, well, it's way too harsh, it went too far. But mm-hmm. we've talked on other shows how oftentimes, particularly in athletics, someone, if they're a premier athlete, they get a few more get-out-of-jail-free cards yeah. than other people tend to. So they did something terrible to their girlfriend or they were caught doing something awful on camera. But yeah, he's a heck of a running back. Exactly. You know what I mean? So that, yep. that And we do that in the church world too, I think, because – and we've seen it, unfortunately, in Chicagoland, and we've seen it globally. Like, yeah. well, yeah, maybe they did this or said that, but such a good preacher. <laughs> exactly. A really talented singer. And you're like, yeah, no one's debating that. No one's debating the Astros were a good team. Exactly. But to, Probably still would have won anyway, but that's the thing. Doubt, right? Now totally. there's that doubt to it. So. The raising the doubt. And that's what I kind of appreciate. I was reading that thinking like, oh, that feels like the role of a shepherd. Mm. Like, hey, I don't know what this actually would have impacted, but like players, fans – People who care about this game, they're now brought into question. Yep. And I just can't stand for that. And I think, okay, good for them. I watched the press conference with the owner yesterday. I was kind of fascinated by it. And he's an older gentleman. And uh, it was an impressive uh, owning of everything. He, It became very clear he didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Uh, but he owned it. Like, hey, it's my organization. Mm. So there was some leadership accountability from all the way at the top. Yeah. And it was also very impressive to hear him. Somebody asked him. You've done. A, you've run a lot of businesses. A lot of good. A lot of bad. Uh, is this the hardest day? And he choked up. He just said, "This is a bad day." Oh this man, this is a bad day. Which and I appreciate because it's, really it's hard. Right. His press conference. Right. There was some good leadership lessons about accountability and owning it. He legitimately didn't know because, in fact, uh, Rob Manford, the, the commissioner, said in the report that they had issued this warning and that the owner went to the general manager and everyone else and said, uh, "If we're doing this, it yeah. stops now." Wow. And then it didn't stop. So that's why Ugh. he cut them all. And, I mean, he's costing himself money. Probably he's costing himself chances to win, I'm sure. But he just said – That's what's most what honorable. To do. Right. It's not MLB coming down with this yeah. ruling. It's like it's the guy who's probably arguably at least financially most affected 100%. making the tough call. Yep. Because this also means that players were participating, right? This and isn't that's just – interesting. It, right? It's not just two guys. You like cut the team. So the players are going to still be there. Right, right. That's tricky. Absolutely. So uh, an interesting story that's still growing uh, and some really good lessons, I believe, even for those of us who run organizations or who are parts of churches and what role does character and integrity uh, and accountability play within a church or a business or an organization. So you can find that on our Facebook page. Uh, love to know your thoughts. Coming up next – uh, staying in the sports world, soccer player Reg- Megan Rapino speaks out about a new Olympic rule uh, that I think opens an interesting door. That's coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. <laughs>
Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, you can find us all over the interwebs, as you like to say. I t- you do. You I do. do not like to say it. I say it. You, say, you just don't like I it. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, Want to talk about Megan Rapino and the Olympics. But before we do that, let me tell you about a great offer from our friends at In Touch Ministries. Wow. The new year is underway. And our friends at In Touch, they are our friends, at In Touch Ministries <laughs> want to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world an inspirational Bible verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at uh, 1160hope.com slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash contest. Well, Megan Rapinoe, uh, the face and one of the stars of the U.S. Uh, soccer team that won the World Cup this past summer. Uh, I believe she was Sportsman of the Year, maybe for Sports Illustrated, or one of them. Yeah, somewhere. Um, I can't remember now. Yeah, she's very well known, but also a very polarizing figure yeah. who is uh, vehemently uh, anti-Trump, but also speaks often, um, to uses her platform uh, unapologetically, uh, to highlight things she thinks are wrong, to highlight her political views, anything like that. Uh, well, recently, the U.S., uh, not just the U.S., the, uh, the International Olympic Committee came out uh, with uh, the, the Olympics are coming up soon and said uh, their new policy is that there will not be any political statements made during the Olympics. They don't want people kneeling. They don't want people uh, holding up a fist. They don't want they don't want the Olympics to be a political thing, okay? And so Megan Rapino did not uh, take kindly to that. <laughs> she said, so much being done about the protests, so little being done about what we are protesting about, we will not be silent. So, so much to be done about the protests, so little being done about what we're protesting about, we will not be silent. So according to Sports Illustrated, Olympic athletes will not be allowed to kneel or make political hand gestures while participating in a sport the guidelines also note that athletes will not be allowed to show any disrespect during uh, the medal ceremony. So Rapino very famously uh, and to some people vulgarly uh, spoke out about not going to the White House and other stuff like that. And so uh, that is going to be an interesting subplot uh, for the Olympics. So I want to know, first of all, what do you just think about the International Olympic Committee going uh, these are our games. This is what we don't want happening. Right. Uh, that we don't want to turn this into a political deal. Uh, what do you think about that? I'm a little surprised, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I'm so surprised. Is this something that you saw coming? Like, did you anticipate? Like, okay, we're eventually going to reach a boiling point. Yeah, it makes sense that they're okay. They're now going to finally draw a line in the sand. I think the Olympic Committee. Remember, this is the International Olympic Committee. So this isn't right. the United States Olympic Committee. Uh, the International Olympic Committee is looking at the landscape, I'm guessing. You know, you've got the protests uh, in, um, you know, the stuff going on in Korea, the stuff going on in Hong Kong. You've got the boiling, you know, the bubbling up of stuff in the Middle East, right. not to mention here in our own country. Uh, and I think the International Olympic Committee is, A, going, we don't want that to, to uh, taint's not the right word, but to overshadow our games. Mm. But there's probably a safety element to it, too. Like, 
you know, if uh, uh, if take Hong Kong, the people protesting in Hong Kong, if they use the Olympics for that, what is the Chinese going to do? You know, there's probably that as well. And so uh, it, you know, if you know anything about the International Olympic Committee, it's not a shock where they just came down and said, nope, you can't do any of it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, what's going to be interesting is what happens if somebody like Rapino or others are like, you can't silence me. Like, I'm going to do it. Do they get thrown out of the game? Do they lose their medal? That it, that was not laid out uh, in the policy. So that will be interesting. Well, but- I look, I'm reading in another source, too. It looks like they're still allowed to express their personal opinion during press interviews outside the village. Okay. In meetings and on traditional and social media. Just not during the ceremonies, yeah. during the medal ceremonies. Yeah. Does that change how you feel about it? They, a little bit. Uh, it's just they are not and must never be a platform to advance political or any other divisive ends, IOC President Thomas Batch added in his own statement. Our political neutrality is undermined whenever organizations or individuals attempt to use the Olympic Games as a stage for their own agendas, as legitimate as they may be. So that's mm. a pretty complicated that <laughs> last part. When it's compromised, the neutrality is compromised whenever they use it as a stage, even if what they're standing for or standing against or whatever their position is, is totally legitimate. Yeah. Um, I would love to have been a fly on the wall of the conversation leading up to this decision. Yeah. I think that would be really interesting. And I think there's probably for you and I, I wonder, are there, are there church implications or the person driving in the car right now? Like, but there's, it's certainly newsworthy, you know, and there's going to be other people who I think are going to respond the way that she has. But, um, do you see any cross pollination, any cross application, to how the church functions, either in terms of staff or the congregation? or Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, as the, the lead pastor of our church, I kind of made a categorical, uh, here's an example for you. I kind of made a policy uh, for our staff and our elders that said, I don't want any political statements being made on Facebook because you're a representative of the church. Has that or happened? social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't met well by everybody. Uh, okay. So you me- you had the policy ahead of time. Mm. Or no, was there comments was that led to? policy. Got it. Okay. And so, uh, but no, nothing inappropriate, but people were making political statements on Facebook, like people tend to do. Yeah. And I was uncomfortable with it and said, you're representative of the church. Right. It says it right there in your bio, right? Right. Ex-staff member, ex-elder, whatever, elder of... And uh, and so I just kind of said, we're not going to do that because I'm uncomfortable with you speaking for the church. And I yeah, right. had some people be like, that's pretty heavy handed. Right. Like, that's right. pretty. I don't know what you guys do at your church. But um, but I kind of said, you know what, I I'm more concerned with the unity of the church and the um, the message of the church coming out versus uh, how it could be read into by certain people. But right. not everybody agreed with me. And I'm curious right. what like your church does or just churches in general, yeah. what their stance is. Like, nope, you're an individual. You do what you want, and people need to be big enough, mature enough to separate you from the church when you're on social media. Or, you know, you're a representative of the church or this business or this school. Right. And therefore, we are going to take a little bit of control of what you can do. Or you can choose to not be part of this organization. Right. Like right. in Rapino, you could choose – this guy would probably say you could choose not to be part of the Olympic, right. whatever. I think it's a – it's a pretty gray area thing that I, yeah. I wrestle with as a pastor of a church, and I wonder, probably people in organizations, I wonder how you wrestle with it. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I know I, I land somewhere in the center because sometimes, you know, on social media, I'll see somebody tweeting or posting something that is uh, drastically different than what I know their employer or organization yes. stands for. I'm like, yikes, is nobody weighing in on this? That seems yeah. like a 
a huge divergence from what the what I know is sort of the central ethos of the company that they work for. Um, I think community does a pretty good job, actually. I, I mean, admittedly, I've not always navigated this well. You know, I've certainly <laughs> you are more social media active than I am, right? And there's sure. been things that have like really fired me up that I've I've tried to be more veiled and more cryptic. But then in hindsight, it's like that I didn't need to post that. Mm. I didn't, you know. So like, I I've certainly looked back the last few years with with some contrition. Like, okay, you really thought you needed to post that, and the problem is the frustrating part on my end is that I, I'll probably never actually know whatever harm that could have possibly caused mm-hmm. or whatever distance it created yep. from someone's like, well, I saw Pastor Ian post this. I guess he must be in this camp or he exactly. must be, you know. And so there is a part of me sometimes that's like, well, if it's the right thing to say, it's the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, leading courageously looks like that. But a lot of times it looks like you just couldn't help yourself. <laughs> and that and that's humbling. Like, honestly, yeah. that, that can be tough to to live with when you know, you know that, like, just taking a deep breath and thinking twice about that tweet or that post and, and like what you're saying, you know, you represent the church as a whole. Sometimes right. I think that uh, we all could use a little bit of that at times. And some of us aren't as inclined to, you know, post things like, like I know plenty of people are like, I'm on social media all the time. I only post memes though. Exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm not looking to be divisive. I'm not looking to yeah. make a statement. I'm not looking to. So I do struggle with the, I think you're hundred percent right. One side of the coin or one swing of the pendulum is, you know, Take a deep breath. Think of the unity of the organization, unity of the church. Right. The other side is, and this is where I can fall sometimes, is just quit being scared. Like, mm, yeah, like let your people sure. be mature enough to wrestle with these things. I think, right. I think you and I are probably on. We probably lean towards different sides. Of, like, we yeah. probably fall on different sides. And I think so. Um, but I think it's interesting. Like Rapino going, nope, you can't silence me. What does that look like for churches? If you're a boss, what's that look like for your business? If you're a a principal, what's it mean for your teachers? Like, right. I do think. What's it mean to be part of an organization? I think it's something we are really going to need to wrestle with uh, in the uh, in this internet age because it's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. We're coming up next a story that you must hear because when Ian told it to me, I said that has to be the Babylon Bee, <laughs> and he said it is not. Do you want to know what it is? Stay with us. Coming up next, we are going to discuss this story here on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. With Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Well, uh, every now and then we jump into stories that are just ridiculous. And last week we were talking about the Babylon Bee and uh, you said to me, hey, have you seen this story? And I said, well, that's clearly satire, right? And you said, nope. So Relevant Magazine, I am going to read the title, and then I want you to describe it because I am still amazed that this is, uh, this is not a joke. Tulip Singles, in quotes, is the Calvinist dating site you've been predestined for. Tell us about <laughs> this new Calvinist dating site. Let me just – it's written so humorously. I'll just read some of the beginning. It says, uh, we've all been there. You're on your first date. Everything's going beautifully. The conversation is flowing. The sparks are flying. But then, out of nowhere, he drops the bomb. He's only a three-point Calvinist. (laughs) If you're tired of this happening to you, and who wouldn't be, fear no more. Tulip Singles is here, and it is somehow the first-ever dating site exclusively for Reformed Christians and probably one of the very few that requires you to agree with a doctrinal statement before signing up. 
core of that doctrine statement is the five points of Calvinism. Oh, you're looking at them right now. Can you name the five no, points? No, I'm looking at them You right couldn't? Now. I, I th- you could. I believe in I you. Think with the TULIP acronym, I think I could have gotten there. People, I, again, it's probably – we should – actually explain what that is right, right so, so <laughs> okay so uh five point calvinism as it's yes. talked about is uh summed up in this acronym affectionately called tulip which stands for total depravity unconditional election limited atonement irresistible grace perseverance of the saints and Would you walk through each one of those just mm, give i'm not i'm not gonna do that no we probably could one time i don't know did you i mean wheaton probably it's not nearly – I was talking to somebody the other day from Moody, and they're like, oh, yeah, Tulip was drilled all the time. Yeah, I mean I certainly learned about it in systematic theology classes and other things, but it wasn't like this is – the like you've got to buy into this. This was more taught as a, a theology and option. Right, and certainly for anyone listening, it's a sort student. of as as the, um, the binary to uh, like Arminianism, mm-hmm. so Calvinism – I said, well, let me just read. The article actually explains it pretty well. Simplified, the idea of TULIP is that God chose in advance who would get into heaven and who would not, a teaching known as predestination. In that sense, Jesus' saving work was limited in its scope, but those who have been predestined for eternal glory have no real choice in the matter because God's grace for them is irresistible and there's nothing they can do to lose it. In this sense, Calvinism is distinct from Christian traditions like Arminianism, which holds that God maintains the free will of humans. Does that sound like something you've just got to have in a romantic partner? <laughs> well, that's what Tulip Singles is here for. The free site, uh, actual quote, are you asking yourself, where are all the reformed singles in my area? <laughs> Works like any other online dating site with one caveat that apps like Tinder don't filter Arminians out of your feed. But hey, doctrinally-minded singles might appreciate a uniquely tailored dating experience like this as a way to find their destiny, or in this case, their predestiny. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw it, and I thought – at first I thought what you thought, this has to be a parody or it's just a goof. But I actually – it's a very interesting – it's a very interesting uh, development for me because – I wonder if there is some significant – and I have no idea if the app is, like, successful. I have no idea what its usership is. That would be interesting to know. But, like, that level of tailored search yeah. uh, exists. And also, you know, there's one for farmers specifically. I love right? that commercial. <laughs> but farmers it ma- only. But it makes sense, though. Yeah. When I talk to people who are actual farmers, like, yeah, there's just a, a mindset and a way of life that if you're not a farmer, you're just not going to get. It's a – it's a camaraderie. There's a there's a unity there mm. simply because we're both farmers. I wonder if things like this – and again, there are plenty of reform people that don't like each other. It's yeah. not like this catch-all like we all get along. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if there – if you see some value to the level of specificity for a dating site like, hey, at the very least, I really, I really want this to be uh, unified because I imagine – and you got married young, right? So, so for you, this is probably totally alien. But like, I've I've counseled a number of people. We're like, yeah, we, you know, we've been dating for a couple of weeks, and it was going really well. And then we found out like, theologically, we're just really not aligned. And so now it's sort of like, well, what do we do? I really like this person. Do you think in any conceivable universe that there's some wisdom yes. to something like this? But when you, you put do. it that way, in any universe, is there conceivable? Yes. <laughs> There is like again to to take it much broader. It's why there's Christian mingle and farmers only yeah. and this and that. Uh, this just feels really specific to me. <laughs> like and it feels very. Um, but maybe it's not. Like you still go on dates, you still do this, but it yeah. just feels really. 
uh, really specific. Like I've got reformed friends and I've got Arminian friends. And uh, I don't remember talking this level of theology with my wife before we started dating right. or got married, but maybe when, especially these sites, probably when you're a little older and start dating, maybe it's important. Um, the, the level of specificity to this one uh, and the fact that you've got to sign a doctoral statement yeah, um, right. feels just awkward. It feels <laughs> weird and like, you know. Well, speaking of awkward, the website is awkward too. Have you clicked on that yet? Did you just, no, tell me about it. I don't know that I want to. It's just a lot of pictures of flowers, a lot of tulips. <laughs> no way. That's it, awesome. it even looks a little bit like a like a parody site. But I, again, I get, I hear what you're saying, but like, let's say, I mean, there's other external things that are a lot more obvious than a dating relationship. So if someone yeah. is a professional athlete and like athletics and fitness is a really important part of their life, um, it's it's probably pretty easy relatively early into the relationship to decipher whether or not that person also yeah. is into athletics yeah. to the degree that you are. So you can sort of, ah, all right, I can kind of gauge it. the yes. level of, you know, compatibility. But like exactly what you just said, though, we don't we don't tend to have these theological discussions um, in a dating context. And a lot of married couples, not even in a marriage context, yes. right? Like there's, you know, and that's, and again, on one hand, that's sort of the beauty of marriage. Is you're always learning about each other. Like, oh, you believe that? I don't know that I hold that. It's like the introduction of kids, right? That yeah. brings a whole other level of like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way about education or about parenting or about how we'd go about this. Like these are things that you continue to learn. But again, I can't even believe I'm defending this. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just I'm wondering if there's any value to like that level of like, okay, yeah, this is a really important, really non-negotiable aspect of my faith and my life and my trajectory. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I totally can. I just call me old-fashioned, Ian. <laughs> like I, I would like to think that once you're out uh, with somebody and meeting somebody, that, that 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 screening process happens more naturally than like a questionnaire. Sure. But I also got married at 22. I get it. Like. It, it, even back when we were Carrie and I were dating, it was just different. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, it, so it, there's nothing weird about it. It's fine. There's nothing bit bad about it. There's nothing unbiblical about it. It just feels a little odd to me. Like, have you ever heard, like, I think it's at Christian Mingle. I could be wrong about this. It might just be at a more generic site where you, if you get married, you get like a hat, uh, like that <laughs> says like, basically like I met my spouse, like through, it's not Christian Mingle. It's one of them. As and like a promotion? I think it's just like, hey, you did it. Like, hey, like it worked. And uh, it might be match.com. It's one of them. Yeah. And so I just wonder on this side, are you uh, like <laughs> that you get handed like Desiring God by John Piper? Or, like, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a Luther <laughs> mug or something. A Tim, a Tim Killer <laughs> podcast. like <laughs> Just a little former starter kit. Here's your flannel shirt. Here's your, oh, no. Here's your craft beer. Here's your, here's your log beer. Here's your ESV. Here's your ESV. <laughs> this is like such a nerdy pastoral level. But I love it. But I love it. The second thing I think about this is our producer, we should get him on various dating sites and just Yeah, how have we it. not done that yet? John, you're going on tulip singles this week, buddy. <laughs> I don't think he's reformed. Okay, so but you mentioned the questionnaire piece. We don't have a lot of time left, but I remember I listened to a, a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. They're interviewing a woman who was telling a story about this article, The 36 Questions That Lead to Love, and uh, it was featured in the New York Times. What was that? 2015. Anyway, they're all, they're all listed. They're all, all 36, and the story was about meeting with a guy. It was the first date, and they had just uh, read this article, 
And uh, he's like, oh, let's give it a shot. And they went through each of these 36 questions. And as you listen to the podcast, you find out that they do eventually end up getting married. Wow. And the whole podcast was about like the nature of how um, intimate some of these questions were and how bad we are at asking each other specific questions. And it was sort of like taking romance out of the realm of like the yep. squishy hallmark and like, yep. no, there's actually a lot of biochemistry that's happening. That's I think that really gets at it because I think really? in my heart I'm a romantic. Yeah. Like, oh, you're going to meet. You're going to lock eyes. Right. You're going to figure it out. And uh, so, again, nothing wrong with this. Sure. I just found it really funny. Well, you should listen to – you should check this list out. I think you would appreciate it okay. actually. The the 36 questions that lead to love in the New York Times. Sit down with the one that you love and ask all I'm 36 of them maybe. Now, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of ridiculous and crazy, we're going to end the show the way we end every show. With some internet interweb insanity mm-hmm. stories from our from the internet that are crazy, and uh, we're going to enjoy that coming up next year on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. That music can only mean one thing, and what that means is we are at the end of our show. Where our producers. They give us stories that we've not seen. We read them sight unseen, and uh, we laugh with you. We cry with you. We're angry with you. All of the emotions you feel, we feel wow. as well. So, Ian, why don't you read the first one that I'm going to give you a hint is from Wisconsin. Wait, do we – all of their emotions, can we promise that? That we feel all the <laughs> – The chances. There's chances we feel all those same emotions. It felt very Hebrews, very uh, – you don't have a high priest that is unfamiliar. Very Hebrews. <laughs> <laughs> With all the temptations that you have felt, Brian and Ian here felt, for you. I feel as well. <laughs> That's funny. All right, Wisconsin driver's ed teacher arrested for driving drunk with a student. Bad. Holy cow. Uh, holy spotted cow. A driver, a driving teacher gets arrested in Germantown. It's the right town for that, mm-hmm. I guess. For driving drunk while teaching a student. Before that, he hit the Germantown High School principal. What? what? It, was all, <laughs> it was all caught on surveillance video. Video shows the instructor, Corey Malone, Backing up into a gate that then hits the Germantown High School principal. That's bad luck right what? there. What? According to the police, when they tested him alone, his blood alcohol level was three times over the legal limit. It's so busy at the time school lets out. You have school buses that are going by, students that don't have a lot of experience driving as well. as uh, as well. And here you have an adult who's impaired, said Lieutenant Tom Schreihart. In the backseat of the car... Uh, while all this was happening, a student that Malone had picked up for his driving lesson, Malone later told police he didn't remember having a student in the car. My wild Irish rose. I'm alright. I'm alright. The sweetest flower. I don't think we could do this segment without alcohol. Not you and I having alcohol, but I mean, <laughs> the presence of alcohol in the story. Yeah, Every story. Yeah, no kidding. Next one's out of North Carolina. Bad wig bandit is hitting North Carolina banks, FBI says. Social media blasts his fashion sense. Oh, no. A serial bank robber is prowling the Charlotte area, <laughs> and federal investigators say he is unmissable due to the questionable fashion choices. In two of the robberies, the man tried unsuccessfully to dress like a female. In a third case, nobody is sure what he was trying to pull off, though the look has been likened to Wookiee from Star Wars. Yeah, you need to look at these pictures. The badwig bandit, as the FBI is calling him, has hit three banks in three weeks, and in each robbery, the suspect wore a different wig. Investigators say he struck a bank in Huntsville, in Gastonia, and five hours later in Belmont. The amount of money he has gotten isn't being uh, disclosed. Uh, Somebody on the Facebook page said, he needs more money for better wigs. (laughs) 
Where did you get that dress? It's awful. And those shoes and that coat. Jeez. Okay. Uh, Massachusetts, the Bay State. Delta flight declared emergency after crew reported a vibration on the plane. Uh-oh. A Paris-bound Delta flight was diverted to Boston on Thursday. Not, not Paris. Thursday night following a mechanical issue that reportedly left passengers panicking, according to one traveler. Delta Airlines Flight 148, which originated in Las Vegas, landed safely at Logan International Airport just before 9.30 p.m. after crew members reported a vibration and declared an emergency, according to a statement. Local Boston outlet WHDH reported that a passenger also suffered a medical emergency on board. Delta, however, did not disclose whether this was the case. He's starting to shake. She's starting to shimmy. She's starting to shimmy. She's starting to... Starting to, uh... What, what? What is she starting to do? Stryker, what is she starting to do? Shudder, Ted. She's starting to shudder. She's starting to shudder. How bad is it, sir? It's not good, but at least she's not beginning to crack up. She's beginning to crack up. Ooh, we're going down under to Australia for the next one. Authorities drop vegetables from helicopter to feed animals in Australia. Oh, I was going to do this story, actually. Really? Yeah. Vegetables are being dropped from the air in Australia in an attempt to save animals. See, he's going to mock. I can already see. This is going to be the WKRP where they're throwing turkeys. Oh, you might be right. A number of Australian (laughs) endangered animals are at a risk of extinction, with many left stranded with no food after the wildfires burned off vegetation to eat. Helicopters have been loaded with boxes of food to drop through the bushland and canyons. Wildfires have been raging for nearly three months in Australia, killing 28 people. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. Have you seen the pictures, though? No. Where they're like, it's like little koalas. I have seen, or like where they're giving them drinks. No, where they're dropping the vegetables. No, I haven't seen the vegetables. I've seen where they're giving them drinks from the water bottles, and that's so tragic. It really is unreal. It's unbelievable. All right, last one. All right, here we go. Texas. We're going to go from a nice one to this. Yeah. Dog swallows metal fork with piece of pie. Wow, this dog needs to take it easy. A Texas dog is recovering from surgery after an enthusiastic eating incident left it with a metal fork inside its body. Carly Ott said she was sharing some pumpkin pie with her dog, a four-year-old bull mastiff boxer mix named Chemo. Chemo? Chemo? Probably yeah, Chemo. Chemo. Yeah, probably. She had cancer. It was okay. Oh, you think that's why they named him that? When the canine wolfed down the piece as well as the metal fork Ott was holding. Ott took chemo to the Big Thicket Veterinarian Clinic outside of Cleveland, Texas, where an x-ray revealed the fork was traveling through the canine's digestive system. Veterinarians were worried the fork could cause internal injuries, so it was removed surgically. Chemo is expected to make a full recovery, barring infection from the procedure. Seen one eat a rocking chair one time. (laughs) That was a weird one. That was. That's a good way to end right there. Well, we're glad you joined us today. Uh, it's been another enjoyable day here on The Common Good. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.